Cineboys to Cinemen episode 27. 27? 27. Hope you're well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. This week, Mission Impossible. Dead Reckoning. Dead Reckoning. Part 1. Yes. Yeah. For those that are thinking, hang on a minute. Where's the anime episode? Where's the anime episode? That will be coming shortly. I'm thinking that. I arrived here having watched 20 anime films. (laughs) I'm not even seen Mission Impossible. I've not even so. seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joking that will be coming soon. Some things cropped up, and we thought, well, in the meantime, yeah, we had, we had a window to go and see uh, Mission Impossible instead. Why, Why not, not do that instead? Why yeah, not? Yeah. As of course, the uh, star of the show, mm. the centre of the Mission Impossible universe, is uh, Tom Cruise, Mr. Thomas Cruise. Mr. Yes. Thomas Cruise. Yeah. That will prompt a discussion about him. Yeah, uh, the nature of his celebrity, yeah, and indeed some of his movies as well, including mm. the Mission Impossible films, which we will discuss on the lead up to the review mm. of the most recent addition to the franchise. Um, but um, I think it's you know going to be a good one. Yeah, he's a fascinating bloke. Uh, yeah, not always for the right reasons, but no. a fascinating bloke. He's always been around. Like I mean, since I was born, he, he's always just been a movie star in my brain, and he's mm. remained fairly consistent. You know, in that my in my kind of assumption, yeah, 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 he hasn't really dipped. Or I mean, his personal life has, but in terms of his output, it's yeah, just crazy. Yeah, it is. He's a machine. Yeah, very much someone that represents, I think, the sort of archetypal classic Hollywood film star. Mm, yeah, but we'll get into that in the chunk of the discussion because I think yeah, there's lots to be said there. Oh yeah, let's do that now. Let's do it right now, or or maybe. No, let's do it now. Mm. <laughs> Questing the cinematic Mmm, Thomas Cruise. Yes. Tom Cruise. Um, I wanted to sort of maybe kick things off with what we just said in the yeah. intro about him sort of being this icon or the archetypal old Hollywood film star. Yeah, okay. Um, I really feel like he's like a relic. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, is that he's someone that sort of astews, I guess, sort of the, the, the ways in which an actor, or the, indeed the celebrity that comes with being an actor, establishes a rapport with their audience. Like, he doesn't have social media or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. He's not someone that, you know, is particularly answerable to any of the sort of cultural discussions that are going on at the moment. Mm. He's impervious to a few... To, yeah, to he's just this sort of, like... he. he <laughs> he's just this sort of like old school Hollywood elite. Yeah. And I don't be wrong, I think there's something sort of vaguely sinister about that. <laughs> but I don't know, like I just think that's what sort of makes him so interesting. I, in a world now where like if you think particularly about like mainstream blockbusters, their characters are more popular than the actors themselves. Yeah. And I think that's something that's been said quite a lot about Marvel films. Like, you don't yeah. go to a Marvel film to watch Chris Evans. You go to a Marvel film to watch Captain America, right? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. like, we're in this sort of bizarre period where, you know, people aren't necessarily going to watch films on the basis of a star. No. And I think he still is that star, though. Do yeah, you know? I think there's more focus on character actors at the moment. And by that I mean, you know, a performance is hinging on a transformation. So Christian Bale, you know, I mean, early De Niro did the same kind of thing. But with Cruz, you are going to sort of almost hang out with him for two hours. And it's he, he plays the same guy and has done for the past at least. I mean, there is exceptions to this rule. He does 
he has played characters. He's branched out, yeah, yeah, yeah he can yeah. definitely do that, yeah. But largely, especially with his action output, he's sort of the same guy. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Apart from, uh, you know, his hair changes. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. And, like, there are films which kind of toe that line with, I'm thinking, like, Minority Report, where he's, he is playing a character, but he's sort of still Tom Cruise at the same yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and that is a very traditional kind of Hollywood male, white male leading actor kind of thing that happened in, you know, with... Uh, I, I just off the top of my head, who's in Casablanca? <laughs> Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, yeah. Like you go and see a film with him in it, and he'd sort of play the same chap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting comparison because he did play the sort of character that was befitting of the of the dominant genre at the time, which was the noir film. Mm. So he would play these sort of downtrodden, yeah. you know, always with a cigarette, mm. sort of. Sort of mm-hmm. types who regularly espoused a sort of like very negative view of the world around them on the basis of their life experience or the environment they inhabit. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's some definite standouts from him. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I think you know. I mean, <laughs> this is going a little bit away from Tom Cruise. <laughs> Surprise! But, you know. It's a Bogart episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> jokes on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't 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 leave. <laughs> no, please. Yeah, don't pause it. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like in a lonely place, he sort of kind of like subverts that a little bit, mm. and in the Treasure of Syria Madre, he really doubles down on that. Yeah, yeah. Um. So he's got a fantastic performance in him, and I adore Humphrey Bogart. But I think you're right that that, that some actors just end up like playing a very similar character so much that almost becomes part of them, and yeah. vice versa. So I think it's a yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. Yeah, but it's it's funny because it kind of it transcends the idea of being typecast because it's not like a negative thing it actually draws an audience in mm, so mm. it's a, it, it's sort of in that respect in a kind of fight from a financial point of view uh, and from an audience point of view as well it's a positive thing yeah yeah um, crazy and not, not a lot of other people I can think of who have that in no, them no I, I agree I can't think of anyone certainly to his level no yeah um, it probably be one of those things I'll be lying in bed tonight and I'll think of like two or three people yeah and well, the podcast pe- will be already out <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it'll be like yeah. you're an idiot you don't know but <laughs> you know that happens all the time but um, no I think you're right he, he, he is that guy I can't think of anyone at, at the moment anyway yeah I mean well I remember going to see Jack Reacher uh, Jack Reach around. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, it said at the, the opening credits, Tom Cruise presents, and then it just said Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. And Dead Reckoning Part One. Yeah, the same yeah, thing. I mean, we were the only ones that laughed at that. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, um, so there's something to be said there for, for he, he's a brand. So mm. so much so that his name appears twice in the opening credits, and the guy designing it probably didn't even think twice. So, all right then. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going Tom off Cruise presents himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fine. <laughs> Thinking about him in the modern context, because we will go back a bit and look at some of his movies. We talked about this idea that he did break away and play character, mm. play sort of characters that are separate from. The, the kind of um, action star that he is now. Yeah. But thinking about him in the modern context, if you think about his last few films over the last few years, Top Gun, Maverick, you know, the last couple of Mission Impossibles, there's this real sense amongst the sort of film-watching community, and I think this is something we share as well, that he has sort of become representative of this drive to remind people of old-school cinema. Mm, yeah. You know, the thrilling element, which is born not just out of a commitment to avoiding as much of the sort of modern special effects as possible. Yeah. But also just relying on those sort of tried and tested 
storytelling techniques mm. and honing them so goddamn well that as an audience member who is pretty sort of weather beaten <laughs> really by the you know when we watch so many films you know it does particularly in the blockbuster realm it becomes harder and harder to suspend your disbelief yeah. in certain ways of course you have to when you're watching a fucking marvel film yeah, why wouldn't yeah. you but what i mean by that is is that he he you know these things that he does in his movies it's stuff you've seen thousands of times before Mm. But it's so well honed, so well crafted, and marries so well with that sort of commitment to that old school, balls to the wall entertainment that it just works. Yeah, you know, we were we were saying this when we came out of uh, Dead Reckoning yesterday. I mean, obviously, we will save it for later on. But and again, actually, thinking about that, I had that just after watching Top Gun Maverick, which I watched for the first time today. Another like, example of yeah, exactly. this guy just like these films aren't. I mean, technically, they're incredibly special. But narratively, they're nothing special. And yet, it pulls on the heartstrings and makes you care Mm. about him and his plight. I don't know. It's it's a real art in itself. I think so. I think it's almost like going to the same... If you go to a restaurant like three times a year and you're like, I know what I like. I'm going to order that again. Yeah. It's him doing that, I suppose. Obviously, he doesn't cook for you. (laughs) (laughs) It's him... Serving up the same dish again, but you love it, and mm. you kind of eat it up, and it's like—I mean, not literally, but you, there, there is that kind of—it's the same thing again, but it, there's a, enough twist with it, and there's enough self-awareness with it mm. that it's still really enjoyable and still really fresh. I—I I do think they're quite well well written. Like I, I enjoy yeah. the, the yeah. pacing and the yeah yeah and the kind of. Uh, strategic placement of the action set pieces in this latest yeah, one. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's something that's not necessarily just down to him. No, yeah. But I mean, he's assembled a team of people around him to carry that vision forward, though, I think. Yeah, I feel like he has... He, he clearly likes being around people he trusts and who he has worked with previously. Mm. I mean, like Chris McQuarrie. He, yeah. That, the guy, that guy did Jack Reach around, actually. <laughs> Jack... <laughs> that guy did... Uh, sorry. <laughs> that guy did... Just, <laughs> and that guy did Jack Reacher, so he, um, you know, he he works with the same people a lot, especially in more recent years. Yeah, Macquarie wrote and produced Maverick. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. right. Co-wrote, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which mm. I was not surprised to see on the basis of what you've just said. Mm, yeah, yeah, no. Um, and he clearly doesn't take that exact producer credit as almost a formality he's very I, i've there's an interview with simon Pegg, and he was talking about how just how professional he is and just how much control he asserts over his sets even when t- you know in the hierarchy of hollywood it's usually the director at the top in this case it really isn't and i think macquarie is probably quite comfortable with that they clearly have a quite a good working relationship yeah yeah by all you'd accounts. have to wouldn't you oh, god yeah. yeah yeah um and there's something to be said that the last three or four mission impossible films have been directed by him whereas the first four had different directors mm. each time where i i yeah he he really does use that he's definitely a, i think he's actually a producer not just an exact producer and yeah i think he, you're right they're his it's his thing it's his brand mm. for sure mm-hmm. absolutely um although like you say there's a there's clearly other people involved yeah in that collaborative the idea of the collaboration. I think he's a really good collaborator as well. Like, that's the difference I think between. And you were talking about um, Vin Diesel yesterday, yeah, yeah, in terms of the ego thing, yeah, which is really interesting. Like, I, I, I have, I have this sort of weird, bizarre scenario in which, like, assume, let's say, uh, Tom Cruise was was the lead in The Shining, right? 
I reckon the plot for The Shining, if Tom Cruise was in it, would be largely the same. <laughs> but, <laughs> right, okay. But if Vin Diesel was the lead, I think he'd write the book successfully. <laughs> yeah, and like, and yeah, kick, yeah. kick the alcohol habit and like all the ghosts be defeated. Yeah, like, yeah, the ghosts Carol. like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> sort of like some bizarre sort of like Christmas Carol sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. A parallel universe. But that is the difference between the two, although obviously... Both of them clearly do suffer with ego. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's bring this. Let's sort of yeah. Let's just discuss. Let's compare. Let's sort of compare and contrast. Yeah, yeah. Vin Diesel <laughs> and uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah. The reason I sort of mentioned that is something we should talk about is because I was thinking throughout the whole movie. I think we're jumping ahead a little bit, but we'll do it anyway. I was thinking about what we were saying all the way back when when we were talking about John Wick and we had a discussion about Eastern action cinema and how there's like a real gutsiness to the way Eastern Action Cinema operates and the way all of its stars, even someone as fucking stratospheric as Jackie Chan, knows that to generate quality action cinema with genuine stakes and jeopardy, you've got to put yourself through the wars and you have to leave your ego at the door. And again, that's someone that's a huge film star in their own right and I would be very surprised if they weren't in some way impacted by you know the constant sort of oh yeah, you know, yeah. Be, be, being elevated to a godlike status it's going to warp <laughs> you as it would warp most people and i just have always really admired that and, we, and when we discussed it in that context obviously fast and furious came up then and then we obviously talked about the fast and furious episode plugging ourselves again <laughs> but you know and how it is so different and how it actually not only impacts the quality of the movie but the engagement with the movie you know mm. we talk about this idea in fast and furious that Vin Diesel is like a child playing cars on it, on it, one of those sort of road carpet things. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so true. Like, he yeah. is just someone that he only ever wants to look good. Yeah. And he has assembled a cast of people, all right, that his underlings, like Tyrese Gibson, they're going to mm. just, they're just happy to be there. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. like, you know, when he gets people like John Cena or Jason Statham or The Rock mm. involved, these people have also got the same yeah. sized ego. So, this creates a problem and ultimately impacts the overall enjoyment of the film because yeah. people are counting punches mm. they don't want to like be made to look like a twat you know as they even their character you know like it impacts the film it strips away any jeopardy any tension which would be admittedly difficult in a fast and furious film to generate mm. but you know when we talk about tom cruise who again clearly mental you know yeah, yeah. clearly someone that is very much obsessed with his own image yeah yeah you know and i think even as we praise him as someone that is like emblematic of this sort of reminder of old school tried and tested Hollywood techniques he's definitely happy to put himself on on, on that label <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, but he, there is a sense that he does live his ego at the door he is unafraid to do the stunts he's unafraid to have his character suffer lose mm. get beaten up and I just think that's why he's like an action film star and Vin Diesel isn't. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know yeah, what I exactly. mean? Like, Vin Diesel yeah. is, but he's not in the way that Keanu Reeves is, or especially the way Tom Cruise is. Yeah. You yeah. know? No, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was a bit of a long one. Not at all. No, no, you're totally right. There is, it goes back to what I said about him being professional. Like, he, he's making, he understands that he's making a film and a story, and in order for that story to work properly there's got to be some highs and lows for the main character even if largely he comes out looking brilliant like yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, oh yeah it's still there yeah, you know yeah. like so yeah you're right you don't want to put too much credit on him for that regard but but there, there's enough uh 
flaws in the characters that he plays to to make it enticing and exciting and unexpected mm. uh, and like this those stakes are still there which is you know one of the reasons why largely although I've, i do have some problems with the franchise but i do largely really enjoy all the mission impossible films yeah 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 um i think they're they're they've all they're all quite unique as well in their own way um and and yeah there's they're, they're nail biting and you know that they the stake yeah there there's some stakes there so mm-hmm. yeah yeah, that suspension to least disbelief is so important because you know he's going to survive. You know the situation's going to go in positively for him, mostly positively, and obviously the world yeah, <laughs> that he's yeah. just saved. Yeah. And again, that's you know that's the commitment to all of those things that we've just talked about is so important to making the audience put that to the back of their minds. Yeah. And 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 stay along for the ride. Mm. You know. And that's why it's old school. It's old school Hollywood. You know, when I think about like Marvel films. You know, I know we talk about Marvel films fairly regularly, so again, I'm not going to do it for too long, but the death of Iron Man, for example, mm. when the writers, and in the sort of build-up to the release of the first of the two sort of final Avengers movies, the writers were like, get your tissues ready, because, yeah. you know, there's going to be mass death, you know? <laughs> and I was immediately sceptical of that, on the basis that financially that is not a move that you can really make. Yeah, You know, no. if, if Tony Stark gets his legs ripped off by Thanos, that's not a move that's going to bode well for marketing purposes. No. <laughs> but there's a bit in the in that fight where he stabs him. Yes. Where Thanos stabs Iron Man. I thought, wow, that would be like, for Marvel anyway, that would be pretty fucking ballsy if they let that and he just died. Mm. That would be pretty fucking cool. Yeah, Never yeah. in a million years was that going to happen. <laughs> Never in a million years. But And of course he dies in the way that I think... It's a I heroic think we, way. Yeah, we, we talked... I remember us talking about it. He dies All a those hero. Years ago, he dies a hero. And there's yeah. like five minutes beforehand when you kind of know it's going to happen. Yeah. And it's a build yeah. up, and, you know, that's the way they went with it. So it wasn't really that ballsy. And you no. kind of, I think yeah, most people knew it was going to happen. But people were still sort of bowled over. So maybe the. <laughs> actually thinking about it a lot of the audiences were suspending their disbelief pretty fucking well. So yeah. maybe there's something more to be said for that. But I just think, you know. That is probably more to do with like an overinvestment in the arc of the character over a long period of time. Mm, yes, uh, and that, the supporting cast as well. Yeah, who, who yeah, are yeah. more expendable and who, like as we've seen yesterday, they we went to see it yesterday. By the way, you know that they, they can Mission Impossible. By the way, yeah, no, yeah, Mission Impossible. Not Avengers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. In the case of Mission Impossible, they can die and they do, and yeah. they die forever as well. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a great moment in this latest one, actually, minor spoilers ahead. I won't re- really reveal who it is yet, but someone, you think someone's dead and they do the classic thing of revealing that they're not, and they brought them back, And but then that same, that very same character actually does die very suddenly and very kind of unexpectedly yeah. later on, and they, they've got the guts to do it, mm. and he's got the the guts to well first of all he's got the foresight to invest writer's time in these characters so you you, you kind of become to a fault emotionally attached to them mm-hmm. so that when they do get killed off it's like a bit of a shock and mm. it leaves a bit of a hole in the in the team you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and fa- fast fast and furious and even to an extent marvel i don't really feel like they have the same that same traction 
No, I think again, it it really boils down to being enveloped in the world and the characters to help you suspend your disbelief, as opposed to the storytelling techniques that are used in Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, we joked about it in our our (laughs) Fast and Furious episode (laughs) (laughs) that um, everyone that's dead or died previously, which is supposed to have cut up. Yeah. One member of the crew returns. Yeah, you know, and it's yeah. like, oh. yeah, and they sort yeah. of just turn up with a queef, don't they? It's yeah. like, <laughs> great, you're back. Oh, you know, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually forgot you even. Right, but yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, you were so sort of throwaway and shit. <laughs> I didn't even fucking, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I think it speaks to something to him, and again, it, it it reaffirms that sort of title that he's been given as some sort of some sort of standard bearer, I guess. For mm, yeah you know, the old school Hollywood approaches and there's still life in them, which he, he as far as I'm concerned, say what you will about him yeah. as an individual, but as a as a someone that's committed to the movie experience. Yeah. Uh and I might be biased because I fucking love Mission Impossible. I'm gonna go say it right now. I really love Mission Impossible. Yeah. More than I probably should. Um <laughs> but you know, the last couple particularly have I've shown that there is absolutely still life in it and mm. fucking Keep it going. Yeah, no, I agree. As, as they seem to be doing really rather well. Yes. Uh, this latest one hasn't hasn't done too well financially, actually, but um, that's more to do with the I think it's more to do with release schedule. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you release that film before Barbenheimer, you're fucked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I don't think anyone would have anticipated how fucked. No. I don't yeah. think... I think this was before the Barbenheimer phenomenon or it was just started gaining traction. Yes. And both films doing quite well critically yeah. and obviously commercially. Uh, Gerwig becoming the first female director to pass a billion last right. week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, these films are clearly doing really fucking well. Yeah. And they just, exceeded expectations though. Yeah. So the projections yeah. from from like a kind of box office projection standpoint, it was probably quite a smart move to release Mission Impossible a couple of weeks before, but actually they didn't re- what people didn't realize was uh, audience was like saving their money up <laughs> to yeah. go and see these two yeah. temple temple summer releases mm-hmm. uh, and yeah i think people are much more selective about going to the cinema aren't they in the current economic climate yeah i think people are going to be like thinking right Cinema costs a fucking bomb. Yeah. It's like seven quid for popcorn. I'm not going every week. No. Not true cinephiles. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like yeah. most people, you know, cinema for them is like a, it's like a treat, an outing, isn't it? And yeah. you're going to be selective on the basis of that, which is totally fair enough. And I think that might have been part of the reason, plus the sort of excellent... I mean, I sort of hate saying the words excellent and marketing in the same <laughs> sentence, but, yeah. the, you know, the excellent marketing of, you know, Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah. It was just never going to work. No, it wasn't. and I don't think that's necessarily should be something that's laid at the feet of anyone involved with Mission Impossible necessarily. I don't think so. I actually feel quite sorry for them actually. Yeah, yeah, I it do. It was a great film, yeah. and it does deserve to be seen. Yeah, uh, and there's. I th- I also think that it came out a little bit too soon after Maverick. Although I know I know Maverick was a couple of years ago now, but. There's only, there's only so many Tom Cruise vehicles. Yeah, you need a couple of years. I you think need a so. year or two, at uh, least, at least. Actually, no, two years. I think is a good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I so, think you're right. Yeah, not considered that. No, yeah. yeah it's, it's not like Harry Potter where you're like, oh, every year there's a new one. Obviously, not anymore. But in those in those kind of ten years when they were coming out, it's like, yeah, you need a bit of cooling off yeah, time. Yeah. I think from Tom Cruise, and I don't think there was quite enough space between mm. those films yeah that's a good point uh, yeah because i know well maverick did really well maverick grossed over a billion super well yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so i actually regretted not seeing it in the cinema after watching it today right don't get me wrong yeah. like i'm you know 
I like my TV and everything, but I was thinking, God, yeah, this would be good in the cinema. Yeah, but um, I, yeah. I saw it on a telly as well. Did it's, you? It is a shame. Yeah, it was yeah. still great, and I, but I do, I do regret it. Yeah, big yeah. time. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit, and we'll save the rest of our thoughts on the film as well. Mm. We're yeah, sort of, of course. We're, we're, keep, you know, we're climaxing early. They keep there. bleeding out of me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> climaxing early. Then you say bleeding. Way, it was but... a horrible combination. <laughs> That's not a good. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's sort of move away from Mission Impossible for a little bit because I think it's interesting to talk about Tom Cruise's other roles um, because obviously we've said we you know he's this sort of tentpole action film star uh, emblematic of the old ways yeah, if you yeah. will <laughs> um, but there was a time where he would work with established filmmakers who perhaps would exert far more control over the character he plays than he would accept now mm, yeah and I just wondered if you had like, because I've got a couple in mind, but I just wondered if you had any in, in, sort of standouts. Sort of, yeah, stand out to you as being the sort of emblematic of that period of, of Tom Cruise. Yeah. Okay. Uh, big one for me. Uh, I don't know if this is on your list as well. Minority Report. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Spielberg. So he worked course, with Spielberg yeah. a few times um, with War of the Worlds and mm-hmm. Minority Report. I think there might have been another one. I can't remember. But um, yeah, that's uh, an excellent kind of. Philip K. Dick, it's uh, yeah. Philip K. Yeah, Dick yeah. adaptation, which was done, I arguably I think in Spielberg's kind of action peak, mm. uh, and there's enough bold ideas in that film to, to to keep it keep your interest. You know, even if you're not that keen on action, there's enough of meat in there and enough yeah. kind of philosophical ideas to keep you guessing in that respect but there's also some really good action sequences that get yeah, overlooked yeah. like there's yeah, a, yeah. there's some there's a futuristic car chase in it which is like which goes vertical and oh, stuff oh god and, yeah uh, and the the vision of the future was like not neon drenched for it to be derivative it had its own thing going on yeah. a, lot, a lot of the technology has since come true as well yeah <laughs> uh, yeah not yeah precogs or anything like that but like facial recognition and all that kind yeah, of stuff yeah 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 it's not. It's sort of like it. It's it's not far away enough to be inconceivable. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I love that. I love how people. I always think that. I mean, this is again. Sorry, sorry to sort of hijack, but no. I just think about like that sort of lo-fi, hi-fi aesthetic thing. Yes. I'm not. You know, it's sort of prevalent in in Minority Report, but I think of films like Alien, like mm. how people sort of think technology is going to be, but it's still rooted in their technology at that time. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I think Minority Report sort of has that a little bit as well. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it's got, it, it does, it doesn't kind of go full Jupiter ascending. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, God, that's a shit film. Oh yeah. Uh, really good soundtrack. Really good performance by Colin Farrell as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, in terms of Tom Cruise in it, it was at a point in his career where he was, you know, willing to work with kind of auteur, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and let him be driven by that as opposed to his own instincts. I feel mm. I do think like he was kind of a a puppet of Spielberg's for for a time and he was totally alright with that which is unusual from him based on what we've just said yeah uh, you might have produced it as well I don't know but, uh. yeah I mean I think I think you know Spielberg in that period is is a safe bet isn't, isn't mm. he I think Tom Cruise at that point was obviously sort of 
if he's going to be in that situation where he's not going to have a great deal of control, then he's going to be sure that he picks directors that are going to be able to exert that enough anyway yeah. and have the sort of legacy and the style and the back catalogue, yeah. should I say, that could justify that. Yeah. And also, this is still fairly early in his career as well, so that he might necessarily not have the pull that he does now, you know? Yeah. So maybe there's that to consider as well. Yeah, I do think that, that, like you were saying earlier about him being that kind of classical Hollywood star, that is, that is still there, and I feel like the casting choice there was selective based on his previous output yeah uh, yeah, yeah of him being this you know that kind of bankable male action star so there is still that in there but it was a definitely a deliberate choice by spielberg or his casting director who well probably be spielberg to be honest um and uh so there's an interesting mix with yeah minority report love it really good film need to watch it again yeah, great shout. You know, I, I've not I've not seen that film for years. Got but... it on DVD. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Digital versatile disc. Oh, very yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah. I have to come over and we'll eat samosas and. <laughs> yeah, I'll but I bang the CRT out on oh, those old yeah. tellies. Yeah, oh, yeah. Classic. <laughs> By like twelve samosas. It would work that. You know, I think yeah. that film. I don't know. It's again nostalgia. You know. Yeah, but... yeah, yeah. I think so. Oh, we just said it again. Oh, oh, no. oh no, mercy. <laughs> uh, no, good shout. And I, I really like that movie. Yeah. Um, again, not seen it for a long time, but I, I really remember en- enjoying it a lot, and it still holds that sort of the memory of enjoyment is hold strong. Mm. So oh, good. Yeah, yeah. Go on then, shoot, shoot from the hip. Well, I'm going to go for uh, Magnolia. Yes. Because I feel like that is like a really different mm, performance. Yes. I think... Mm, 1999. That, yeah, 99. So. so it's three years after the first Mission Impossible. Yes. So like, he, he, it's sort of this, you know, he's sort of starting to establish this action star presence. And then he goes and does Magnolia, which, you know, is a sort of very deep, expansive on, ensemble piece yes. mm. about the sort of cyclical nature of grief really mm. you know the pain uh, that you inherit from your parents mm. via the, the way they parented you or whatever it is they were going through passing on to you impacting who you are the person you grow to be and then subsequently passing on more pain to others and i just think what he does so well in that film is that he plays such a reprehensible shit yeah for such a large portion of the movie but as the film sort of returns to him you get a sense of the sort of it's a facade isn't it yeah like it's like it's just like crumbling it's like a, almost like a defense mechanism that's falling apart yeah he doesn't want to open himself to the world you see you know it's a it's a classic way in which people who have who are besieged by sort of some internal trauma deal with the world around them they sort of encase themselves in this hardened shell and in this instance he's sort of playing this quite this misogynistic hero isn't he for for loads of men he, he's like a, a motivational speaker yeah but has very challenged blokes yeah, yeah 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 so it's interesting that you know he is obviously completely broken yet is seen as some sort of you know hero for other men who are probably dealing with their own kinds of trauma it's quite interesting yeah i mean if you if you you were being prejudiced and blunt it the, the kind of men that perhaps might nowadays might be known as incel yeah like a kind of incel or at least <laughs> right, incel yeah, vibes yeah. and he's sort of but i guess back in 2000 that wasn't as much of a of a thing no uh, but it's that same behavior that he's yeah. actively promoting uh i think it's genius casting because it, he's got that charisma in him naturally oh gotcha just in even if he doesn't speak he can just look at you and you, you yeah. that charisma really oozes from him and that sort of charming smile mm. 
Uh, and yet also he's proven in the past before then that he can play more sort of sensitive characters. I'm thinking more like risky business, you know, mm-hmm. the relationship with his dad in that film. Yeah, yeah. So what, yeah, genius casting. And it's, I mean, brilliant that he agreed to do it. Cause, and it all comes up to a head with the scene with his dad and, when, and his dad's deathbed. It's yeah, just, yeah. It is just one of the standout moments in the movie. Oh, mate, the, the, the Wise Up song, mm. the Amy Mann song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know why that works. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. It does, yeah. But I mean, I, I just think, it, yeah, you're absolutely right. Genius casting and, you know, what a, what a way to sort of subvert audience expectations on mm. you as an actor. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, but via the roles that you choose to play. Mm. You know, I think that's just a real left turn and a, and a real beneficial left turn, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Because that scene is excellent. Really good, really upsetting. Yeah, um, and it really sort of speaks to the idea of how fucked up you can be as a result of experience. Yeah, yeah. And how his parents before him were fucked up by something else and it just sort of snowballs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. I, Excellent. Um, oh, no, brilliant film. Um, yeah, PTA as well. We're both huge PTA fanboys here, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure we peppered him in previous episodes Oh, God, yeah. Point, we always yeah. try to shoe on him <laughs> in somehow. Shall we talk briefly about Collateral as well? Because that's an, that's an uh, interesting one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when we put the poll out on Instagram for people to, sorry, not the poll, a question out, that came up. Someone said, um, um, yeah, yeah, we, we uh, Georgia, actually. Georgia, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah said <laughs> collateral. Yeah. I mean, and I would, and I messaged you straight after thinking, saying, fucking hell, collateral. It's one that I always forget about, and then I'll see in my DVD shelf, and I'm like, Oh yeah, that film. That's quite such film. a fucking great movie. Yeah, I, I can't sort of speak about it too much on the basis that I can't really remember sort of plot details. Obviously, I know the overarching yeah. idea, and I can remember fucking loving it. But that's a real again another turn from him mm. playing a villain, playing really. a villain, and being apparently uh, being a bit method. So he apparently before the film started shooting, he'd dress up as like. Uh, delivery men, men and just deliver packages around like Los Angeles. Wow. Just to kind of, because obviously his face is so recognisable that he'd get people approaching him a lot and the idea behind his character on Collateral is he's meant to be inconspicuous. Yeah. He's meant to blend in. Yeah, yeah. Like that last scene on the train. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he kind of dressed up as just delivery men and went and delivered packages to sort of get the idea as to what it would be like to not be noticed. Wow, yeah. So what, I mean, like, again, he's such a professional guy. I can't believe it. Like, that's not something that you'd hear, that you'd kind of naturally assume he'd do. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess if you want to work with Michael Mann, this was in between Minority Report and War of the Worlds as well. So he was sort of working with fairly esteemed directors. Yeah, yeah. You know, letting quite an experimental film as well. Collateral it was one of the first digitally shot movies, okay. um, shot on like a Viper cat, like one of the Sony ones. Uh, so for him to be on board with that as well is kind of him, you know, thinking I'd like to be part of something. I don't want to be in control. Uh, so mm. yeah, yeah. That I, I think that's interesting as well. You talk about the sort of the embracing of technological innovations in the in the industry because I want to talk about that in relation to Dead Reckoning. Oh uh, yeah, because it's almost like he's sort of turning on technological innovation. Yes, um, yeah. but we'll save that. But you know, I think that's that's interesting. Yeah, great film, fantastic film. Michael Mann, mm. you know, one of his sort of you know obviously Heat, Thief, yeah, Manhunter. But I mean, it's absolutely alongside that. Um, Miami Vice as well, which I really want to rewatch because I hear a lot of people giving that film a lot of credit these days. Really, even though it got fucking canned. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, Jamie Foxx went won an Oscar and I get an ego problem with there. Apparently, he was a nightmare to work with, even though he'd worked with him before. Oh, really? On Collateral, yeah. So I don't know why I mentioned that. This isn't a Jamie Foxx episode. Yeah, just throw shade at Jamie yeah. Foxx. It's a Humphrey yeah. Bogart episode, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, no, great film, yeah. fantastic, worth a go, and I will be doing so just to revisit because mm. just to see again that sort of. Uh, progression of him as an actor and, and, and taking a role someone cold and calculated and yeah and just unlikable to mm. the nth degree I mean mm. it's almost like in Magnolia there's a flip there but not in Collateral like he no. is just he's a, he's a nasty piece of work and you can all humanity has just been deliberately yeah. sheared off oh yeah to, yeah. to facilitate his role mm. yeah. what he needs to do yeah as mm. a hitman I also want to quickly mention Eyes Wide Shut Oh yeah, okay. Again, you know, we talk about him working with big directors who, you know, who are going to have a lot more control than he would. I don't think you can get anyone more controlling than Stanley Kubrick, certainly in American cinema. No, yeah. Um, I was just, I mean, I don't really have a lot to say in it. Obviously, there's lots to say about it. It's a great film. I was actually really lucky to catch on the big screen a couple of years ago. And I know a lot of people say it's his weakest movie. I completely disagree. And I disagreed more staunchly upon seeing it on the big screen. A lot of people said it's more relevant than ever now, just in terms of uh, Hollywood and the way Hollywood's mm, gone. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's a kind of theme in that film, which in 99, was it? 98? Uh, yeah, I want to say 99, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't as, you know, that, that kind of... That kind of stuff wasn't as around as much, or at least not talked about as much. So um, I've not seen Ice White Shot in a really long time. Uh, I think at the time as well, it was overshadowed a little bit by his personal life and his relationship with Nicole Kidman, mm. which mm-hmm. was kind of on the verge of breaking apart. And he was in the tabloids a lot. So, and you know, with the benefit of hindsight, if you go back and watch it again, it is, you know, it's a long, hefty kind of quite brutal film but mm. um yeah. you know i think it might be his most pathetic character in the way that he's almost sort of like minuscule in comparison to this like clandestine sort of hedonistic mm. cult cult yeah, yeah, yeah cult yeah cult's the right word you know all these individuals from various parts of high society coming together to sort of sate their sort of darkest desires the yeah. desires that the real world can't give them so they sort of you know yeah hide almost yeah hide away in these these mansions and and behind masks sort of and, almost masonic behavior yeah I mean? <laughs> yeah and i just yeah. think he's sort of lost in that and obviously there's a lot of the sort of issues around the Cole kidman's character as well the lack of sort of you know, she's distracted by sexual fantasies for other men, isn't she? And yes, yeah. You know, he, it's a it's quite a disempowering role for him, I think. Mm, yeah, and I think it's interesting in that context, given that we've talked about him playing someone that you know is hard, then hard. <laughs> someone has <laughs> an erection. No, no, play, playing a character that he does in Magnolia, he yes. slowly unravels to reveal the trauma that has created this difficult individual. Yeah, to yeah. collateral, who is this sort of just like stony faced killer. Yeah. To to now sort of play this sort of pathetic little man trying mm. to sort of find his way through this sort of horrible seedy underworld. Yeah. <laughs> Almost pushing his own limits of what you know, his own boundaries, you yeah. know, along the way. Another I think a great film and a really um a film that needs a lot more love, I think. Definitely, it, yeah, in terms of Kubrick, because when when you mention Kubrick you you mention like the aforementioned Shining, obviously Full Metal Jacket, 
eyes wide shut is all is sort of pushed aside a little bit uh, undeservedly so agreed yeah yeah let's bring this back round to mission impossible like i know there are loads of other tom cruise films that we could talk about and we could probably we could talk about them at greater length but you know we don't want to be here for like three hours <laughs> no, yeah. so let's sort of bring you back round to mission impossible then as you said previously it's a film franchise that started off under the sort of stewardship of different directors each film yeah. famously with brian de palma mm-hmm. being the director of uh, the first mission impossible and he brings that sort of like dark violent edge to the film doesn't yeah. to the film which you would expect from de palma really yeah 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 and then you've got john woo for mission impossible 2 yeah a lot more sort of action centric mm. and odd i still think is an odd choice uh yeah i don't know man like i i, I think john woo does and get as much credit as he deserves this side of the pond no, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I say this side of the pond as if I live in America, but you know what I mean in <laughs> yeah, context. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously, he's a filmmaker that started out Hong Kong action films. One of the greats, you know, one of the absolute beasts of action cinema. You know, that balletic form of gunishment is <laughs> yeah. done no better by anyone else than John Woo. And it, it, to me, it could have been a really good fit, but I think there are a lot of other issues around it. Mm. Um, the property uh, at that point, I don't think crews have really taken full control of it just yet. Uh, you probably it was more, probably more in Paramount's hands uh, at that point. At that okay. stage, I think he was still, you know, possibly contractually agreed to do a sequel uh, after the first one. But uh, yeah, at this point, the the quality does slip a bit from the first one, and it becomes a lot more generic. Although there are some, still some good moments in it yeah sure. yeah I, I think uh yeah the, the obviously the sort of overuse of slow motion mm. sort of diving you know which is classic john woo you know but yeah i really disappointing for me personally as a big john woo fan to see that film not do as well and i tried when i when i watched it uh, i think a couple of years ago like i was like trying to be like come on it's john woo you love john woo but even i oh, so no, there's, there's a limit yeah, good. Some good moments in it for sure, like the motorbike chase scenes. The motorbike cool. bit, yeah. The bit of the rock climbing is great. Oh, the start, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that I really that's an iconic, that. probably one of the most iconic openings. Yes. in Mission Impossible. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, in, in terms of the stunt work, I actually, think it's up there with the the rest. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. But as a movie, as a whole, and the way it's written and the way it's constructed, it, it just wanes for me. Yeah, it does have that sort of like throwaway '90s action film vibe. Yes, that's through it. And I, yeah, you're right. Yeah, the third one. I love the third one. Yeah, I, I, think I like the third one. The way it opens, I remember it really vividly. I went to see it with a mate, and we were with a mate uh, Arlo. Oh, he was at my wedding. Um, <laughs> maybe he's listening now. He's actually meant to be on honeymoon, so hopefully he's listening. <laughs> I, don't <know>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what else he's going to be doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's going to be pissed off. I forgot on him. Sorry, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We went to see uh, X Men three, and we got free tickets for what turned out to be the wrong film. <laughs> Um, and we couldn't go and see X-Men 3 and we were really annoyed so oh let's go watch Mission Impossible 3 whatever so glad I did like that opening with Philip Seymour Hoffman mm. Ethan Hunt at that moment in in the, the in time is like lowest of the low he's he's got properly beaten up like he's sat down at a chair it's sweaty it's green it's horrible like there's really lurid colour palette yeah you yeah just get, he gets effectively he's being tortured uh, and that speaks to Tom Cruise's willingness to let his characters lose mm-hmm. uh, and there's a cool sort of cyclical narrative device where it comes back later and it reveals why Seymour Hoffman has him there 
Yeah, just a really great action film, really solid piece of... One of J.J. Abrams' best movies, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree, yeah. It, it's sort of taking that franchise into the sort of grittier territory as mm, well. Completely, yeah. You know, like... The camera work sort of speaks for that as well. It's mm. sort of like it's sort of Casino Royale moment for yeah. it. Do you know what I mean? That's mm. sort of like... Uh, I actually much prefer Mission Impossible to James Bond. But, oh, okay. You know, yeah, but yeah. I mean, you know, like the idea that obviously it's going to have the sort of silliness still, but it's going to be, I guess, grafted onto a much more serious tone that treats the world of espionage as it probably is. Yeah, a yeah. little bit more. Anyway. A little bit more. Yeah. Post Batman Begins, probably. Which is the year after Batman Begins. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. and the same year as Casino Royale. So there you go. Oh, fucking hell, yeah. yeah they- oh, God, you're so good with your film, <laughs> film dates. I hope that's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but keeping it in. Yeah. No, I love, I think, I think that's great. There's a and really Hoffman's great- still oh. been the best villain, right? Yeah, yeah. Just- I was thinking Sean Harris might come close, because Sean Harris is a great actor, but yeah, yeah. I don't think, in terms of like a screen presence and a character that he gets to play, it really holds a candle to Hoffman. No, I mean, both of them are equally menacing, I think, but yeah. uh, Sean Harris's face is very menacing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But There's Hoffman, something very sort of sharp, like a predatory bird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But the way Hoffman delivers that performance, I think, does slightly outshine Sean Harris. Both both great performances, though, as you say. Um and a really great sequence in Rome as well. One of the best uses of the mask, I think. There's a bit where oh, they go to the God. Vatican. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And it stays there for a long time. There's something to be said about that. Like, they, they kind of commit to a set piece for about half an hour. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's really good. There's a great moment as well. I'll stop banging on about three in a second. But uh, <laughs> really, uh, again, it just speaks to what you were saying earlier about the grittiness. There's a bit where someone someone has a small bomb in their eye. Oh, and shit, it yeah. goes all gammy and explodes. And it's like, oh, yeah, Jesus yeah, yeah. Christ. That really sort of throws you out of that comfort bubble that Mission Impossible 2 probably gave you. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. This is, and it ups mm. those stakes, doesn't it? Like giving mm. it a, that sort of, I'm not going to say realism <laughs> in, the, in the way that, you, you know, but you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. By, by anchoring it in that, it, it gives that sense of that's a sense of stakes and the jeopardy. It, it heightens them, you know, because you're like fucking hell. Someone's just their brain blown up with a small bomb. Yeah, and it's funny because I was watching some of the uh, just to sort of refamiliarise myself with the franchise because I didn't have the time to watch like all six <laughs> Mission <laughs> yeah. Impossible films. But you know, I remember that bit came up. I was like fucking hell. I don't remember it being that brutal. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, yeah. testament to the to the those involved for getting that th- over the line. Mm. Uh, four Ghost Protocol Ghost Pro- that's Brad Bird Brad Bird yeah Re- really fun uh, and really uh, keeps the, brings the tone back to more of a sort of light yeah l- yeah it much, is lighter isn't much it much more fun and much more kind of sparkly uh, but doesn't do it in a way that detracts from what three did I think you kind of needed that uh, and there was a bit, a bit of levity break. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I think Cruz had some disagreements with Paramount in between three and four so there was a long gap between those films. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Ghost Protocol has pos- my personal, and I think your favourite, we'll rank these in a bit, uh, sort of stunt work in it uh, in terms of like, the you know, the marketable stunt. Mm, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The Burj Khalifa scene, mm. really great. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. A good, uh, the most caperish of, of all of them, I, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. It might have been my favourite, but I think you're right it, mm. with it being the most, yeah, yeah, I agree goes back to there's some outlandish gadgets in it reignites the sort of russian american cold war trauma yeah, as well yeah yeah we talk about that in the oppenheimer episode don't we about that the yes. the way in which the sort of nuclear warhead is sort of 
endures as, as, <laughs> yeah. as a sort of as a plot device to generate tension and, and, and anxiety. Mm. Um, that's like the fifth time we've self-referenced ourselves. We need to leave the house more. Uh, Mission Impossible Five. Oh, is that that's Rogue Nation? Yeah, where they become the CIA. I, I, the, the 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 IMF, the Impossible Mission Force, is no more. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't, I, um, I don't like it. I really don't like Rogue Nation um, at all. Actually, I really I thought it was really generic and boring. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I I can't as a film. I I think it's one of my least favorites. Actually, it's the one I sort of remember the least. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it that sort of speaks for itself. In Apart from Sean Harris. He's in Rogue Nation. Okay, mm. he was the best thing about it, because I do remember him. Yeah. I don't know why I thought he was in another one. This is a Sean Harris podcast yeah, now. Yeah. Sean Harathon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> very nice. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I I watched it in uh, our dear friend Gordon's bedroom. Oh, <laughs> he yeah. He stuck it on. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, I just didn't do it for me. I really thought it was a whimper, a bit of a bit of a dud mm. uh, which is odd because Macquarie proved himself since then for me anyway oh yeah and that obviously means we have to talk about six which is head, head and shoulders my favourite Fallout yeah yes. I mean it's just I thought this when I after I watched it and I thought it again after because I sometimes you can get so swept up by the sort of experience of a movie and you talk about it and you laid all loads of praise I was actually thinking that in the context of Oppenheimer actually oh okay my, yeah. I, I'd still like I still really liked the movie a lot um, but I'm starting the negativity sort of creeping in a little bit about oh, right. it. Okay. Whereas, and I sort of have that quite a lot with a lot of blockbuster movies, mm. more certainly more modern ones anyway. And yeah. but I rewatched Fallout, and I was still like, this is honestly one of the best Western action films I've seen in such a goddamn long time. Mm. Yeah, it's fantastic. The scope, the stakes, the way in which it is sort of it's so in deep into the franchise, all the reoccurring characters. And the way that they sort of turn tail and the twists, like it's it's fucking silly, but it's so believable in the realms of that world, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it feels it, everything feels like properly measured yep. and earned, and it that, services the the build up to these fucking amazing moments in the film. I think that Fallout does tension the best. Oh, just so pitch perfect the way it kind of goes from one thing to another to another, and each time the stakes rise and rise and mm. rise, and it like it culminates in this just phenomenal helicopter sequence, which lasts like twenty minutes. It was mm. all in IMAX as well. Like, so good, yeah, and really yeah. crisp as well. Like mm. the way they did that, um, Halo Jump as well. Oh, awesome. great! Yeah, that's on my that's on the list of uh, of stunts yeah. to, oh, to rank. The fight, the fight in the in the toilets with Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill, and, and oh. he, the bit where he reloads his uh, his, arms. his arms. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. And he flips him through the window, and it's like, yeah, oh, it's so good. Anniversary, just the ad, like, yeah. Henry Cavill as, as an adversary to Cruz in that moment it's just so great like, yeah 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 it's, it's kind of stamina versus muscle yeah yeah <laughs> it's a real classic way of pitching and there's the third performer who's obviously a very accomplished martial artist in his own right I, I completely forgot his name but he's amazing in that sequence as oh, well oh yeah yeah that's... I just fucking love that movie I mean mm. I just think in the in this era where action cinema is having a bit of a renaissance and we're talking about the fusion of of uh, a dedicated performer yeah. And cinematography, camera work, uh, lighting, blah blah blah. You know, like I don't know why Fallout isn't talked about more. I think uh, when it got released, I remember li- there was so many like 
things on the posters of it saying like it's the best action film ever made for like a year people thought mm. it was the best action film ever made and you can really see why and it does resonate as well I don't know why it might have got forgotten because Maverick came out and that kind of superseded it as Cruz's new okay. saving yeah. cinema kind of yeah, 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 yeah. He's re- he saved cinema thrice. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. No, you may be all right. I, I think it really sort of pairs well with the, the whole John Wick thing quite nicely because I think John Wick's. I'm not saying it's more grounded, but there's sort of like a more ground level aesthetic to it, and it's a bit of martial arts focus. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I think I think it pairs well with Fallout in the sense that Fallout is an action film in a similar sense. There is obviously fight sequences. Mm. Uh, I mean that fight sequence in the toilet as we've talked about is probably the best one ever in in, in terms of fight sequences going in the whole franchise yeah but it's not really renowned for that it's more the stunts the spectacle the car chasers yeah all that sort of stuff but I think Mm. they pair together really well and I think when we talk about western action stars who are committed to Mm. that committed to the again as I said the fusion between performance uh, cinematography and that sort of you know putting your body on the line Mm. Those two are up there. Oh yeah, they're the best. I think they're the best Western action cinemas got to offer. Certainly in, in a mainstream sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I can't. I can't talk about that film enough. I absolutely love it, and I love. I know it's not that I went in thinking I'm going to fucking love this. I was going. I know. I know. I love Mission Impossible, but I didn't expect to come out and be like, "Wow, that was really, really good." That was like yeah. genuinely like outside of the films, really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stands um, on its own. Um, and yeah, the way that bathroom sequence is shot, great use of a simplistic background so you can figure out what's going on yeah yeah there's not a lot else to look at apart from the two men punching each other and kind of doing all these really incredible stunts uh yeah all of these films are shot really well actually and this this one's interesting this new one um dead reckoning it just it was digitally shot actually which is oh, okay. unusual for crews unusual for a, yeah, a, a yeah. mission impossible film i think all the previous ones kept kept to that prestige of uh, celluloid but this one is like, there's quite a lot of Dutch angles in it and stuff. Yeah, I noticed that. A lot of the dialogue is just the Dutch angle. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, strange. Yeah. I quite liked it. Yeah, I, um, I did. It's sort of, yeah. Mm. Again, that classic use of sort of like tried and tested method, isn't it? Yeah. I think maybe, yeah, it, this one harked back to De Palma's work more so than yes. the others. Yeah, uh, yeah. We were talking about that certainly narratively, but also themat- visually. Which, yeah. yeah, yeah, which, yeah, of course. I've not considered that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, Should we go through some stunts? Let's then? go through the stunts. What we're going to do, yeah, is we're going to rank some stunts, mm. uh, f- some best to worst. Because I actually do have a worse one. It's from Rogue Nation. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so it's my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, shall I? Shall I read these out in no particular order? Uh, and you no, can I, rank them. Or? Uh, no, give me your ranking. I want to hear your ranking. Okay, so number one for me is the Burj Khalifa. Okay, just in the way that it's so extended. Uh, and such a great kind of feat of stunt work, uh, and there's a sense of vertigo. You, yeah. you can tell yeah, it was yeah. real, and like uh, also some great wire paintouts, which aren't easy. Yeah, <laughs> it's really no, yeah, difficult I can to imagine. paint out yeah, wires, yeah. man. They're so hard. <laughs> so fair play for painting out all the wires and harnesses. Um, that's for me up there. That's the best one. For okay. Me, I think. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the bits in the set number two for me. Is actually in the first film the the uh, the wire stunt, oh, him gotcha. landing like inches from the floor. Yeah, uh, apparently he put pound coins in his shoes, so he'd 
counterbalance himself. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> there's no kind of enhancement there. They don't need to paint out the wires. It'd be weird if they did. Uh, <laughs> just hovering. There's something to be said about literally zero image manipulation. Uh, and I think for that reason uh, and for the kind of nail-biting nature of it, uh, and you, you can tell he's panicked in that moment. Yeah, the, the yeah. Tom Cruise panic face, which isn't part of his characters. He's just like, he is thinking like, fuck, I can crack my skull open here. Yeah, it ties in well, doesn't it, to sort of the early, the early years of Ethan Hunt, I guess, as well. <laughs> but I like this film. It's sort of like, yeah, mm. I can sort of do this. I can do this, but this is the number one. like, And it's so, so fucking iconic. It, you know, not only in, in, the, in the context of the franchise, but action cinema, indeed cinema more broadly. Mm-hmm. There's another bit as well in the first one where he, uh, there's like a shitload of water gets dumped on him. That was all real as well. So mm. I, I mean that isn't in the list actually, but yeah, just, just is that with the fish tanks? Uh, get shot. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like in slow motion. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, number three, the Halo jump from Fallout, oh, which is so good, beautiful. Um, for for kind of a technical feat alone skydiving with an eye with a camera i don't think it was an imax camera it probably wasn't but like even so <laughs> fair play like it yeah. looks so good as well so streamlined mm. um and again zero Im- image nip- manipulation some of these do have image manipulation like that they're, they're enhanced like i said mm. earlier with visual effects and stuff this one i don't think the halo jump required anything like that maybe a bit of stabilization or something that's fantastic Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, knife close to his eyes in Mission Impossible Two. Oh, it's yeah. so good. They like yeah that that. Although you know, not a great movie. Uh, the the fact that they put a, they put a knife on on a bit of string so it wouldn't reach his eye, it wouldn't stab him in the eyes, and that was all they did. And like I think it was like a kind of piece of elastic which stretched so far before kind of pinging back. See, so yeah, that's number four. Building to building, shout out for him breaking his ankle, number five. Oh, yeah. Again, from yeah. Fallout, and it is in London, and he um, jumps from one building to another. As a stunt, not that impressive, but, like, the fact that he kind of persevered and didn't kind of whinge about having a broken yeah, ankle. Yeah. I'm going to go with the uh, number six is the the bike-based jump from the from Dead Reckoning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've seen it in the trailers. Uh, the one problem I have with this is, yeah, he did the stunt, and yeah, it was great as uh, inducing that same sense of vertigo that my number one pick had. The ramp they used was a ramp, and they they replaced the ramp with a computer generated oh, yeah. background. And yeah, I'm yeah, like, I remember you saying this? Yeah, yesterday. I just think that actually would have been equally as impressive if you had done the stunt with computer generated imagery like because you we've got to a point now where we can i don't think we would have been able to tell the difference if you used a real mountain edge like that kind of knife like a kind of mountain ridge with an overhang and just done a helicopter shot and put him i think it'd be more impressive (laughs) to do that than to do than to replace all of the background. I don't know. There's, I, it didn't sit well with me that one. Uh, although the the stunt is impressive, and of the course, moment yeah, in the film is it yeah. is like grand. Does sort of again. There's that sort of vertigo feeling that yeah, you have yeah. in the cinema, which isn't easy. And then number seven. Sorry, it's almost over. This is no, the, no, the final can't. one. Uh, the plane from Rogue Nation. Uh, ever that was the one of the first times where it was a really big point in advertising when you could see on all the promotional materials that he'd been doing these stunts himself and like I looked at it and I remember thinking okay they're 
there's one camera and it's fixed to this plane. Again, you could have done that in a studio and it would look fine. It would look like... Because the planes have really defined edges. So you, you could have put a blue screen behind that and put, a, put on some wires. Big fan. Done it that way. I think it would have it's been... It's not Tom Cruise's way, Yeah, I know, I know. But it just... The way that it looked, the result of it, didn't impress me. Although the, the the stunt itself is impressive, but the result for me uh, from uh, Rogue Nation was not impressive. Oh, wow, impressive. okay. Fair play. No. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that was a... Um, went off on one there a little bit. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's a good list. The only one I think you're missing, and I know why, because obviously you, know, you don't want to have too many from one film, but obviously the helicopter, dangling from the helicopter oh, and Fallout. Yes, I did miss that one. Um, but I mean, you know... you. It's, there's so many there's always going to be ones that you miss out yeah yeah <laughs> actually your comment there about uh, you know, he could just have blue screened that yeah ties well into what I wanted to say in relation to the film okay well the f- <laughs> Dead Reckoning yeah yeah, yeah. Um, just the film the um, movie the, the movie mm. because you know, we've sort of said you know, he, he sort of prides himself as being this old old school Hollywood figure yeah, we beat that drum enough. Mm-hmm. But um, I think in the context of this film, narratively, yeah, I think this might be his most overt middle finger to the sort of new technologies that are being either overused now or yeah. are on the horizon for the medium's future. Indeed, our entire future as a, as a society and as a species, right? Yeah. So it's part of the SAG-AFTRA strikes, right? Mm. There was part of the reason why people are striking is because of. Well, I think this is where you're leading. Yeah, yeah, Sorry yeah. To yeah. Interrupt you, no, no, no. Go for it. Roll with it. Yeah, the, it's the AI yeah. and the use of AI uh, in uh, actors get a lot of residuals from voiceover uh, and voiceover work, mm. and also Can keep a lot of actors going. Yeah, oh, completely. Yeah, because you get paid quite handsomely for doing ADR, uh, but AI can now do it for them. <laughs> yeah, um, and so kind of circling back to the plot device in this film, which is a kind of rogue AI. There is definitely a comment I think he's making about uh, how there should be sort of legislation around the use of this technology. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because if we think about it in the context of the technology that's on offer now, namely CGI, so what you're saying earlier in relation to that scene of him hanging on the plane that could have been done with special effects. Yeah, I think it would have been quite convincing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in the context of this discussion about yeah. a comment on technology, yeah. it's not his style. Oh, no, it's not. And yeah. I think it especially given what the message of this film is mm. about you know being anxious you know rightly mm. you know anxious and being worried about what would happen if you welcome this technology with open arms mm. and allow it to sink into every facet of the creative process before you have time to take stock of what's happened okay yeah um, yeah, yeah and again you know tom cruise understands <laughs> tom cruise understands my <laughs> mate tom cruise understands <laughs> no but I think you know. I think he understands the necessity for embracing technology, yeah. as we've talked about the use of um, computer-generated imagery to generate that mountain for the stunt of the in this film. Yeah. Obviously, you know he's not disavowing it entirely. Yeah. No. But if you frame it in the context of CGI, which is something that is overused to the point where now it's an audience expectation. Yeah. I think his anxiety is merited. We just, ex- you know, audience just expect it. It's, it's like a blanket. Mm, it's a yeah. it's a comfort blanket. You know, like you you don't want story. You just want, 
you want explosions and, and, and alien worlds and yeah, yeah. you know and we talked about this right at the beginning of our first episode Avatar yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know that there's so much there's so much sort of potential mm. which has been pissed up the wall and it is you know just that it's like a blanket to to sort of just be a source of comfort for people. Oh, good CGI. I yeah, can, you know, I yeah. can let my eyes just sort of drink in all of this sort of like <laughs> fake, <laughs> all this fake. It always looked gray. Yeah, yeah, fake <laughs> yeah. gray imagery. Yeah. Or it can also be used to sort of like resurrect the dead. Mm. You know, we've talked about this before. That's another kind to, of, sort of placate, moral issue. Yeah, 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 to sort of placate nostalgia. You know, like so. I think when you frame the sort of concerns on AI. AI around the use of CGI now, mm. I think it's absolutely merited. And I think it's something that we should be concerned about. Yeah. And I think the way that they thread it, threaded it into the narrative, okay, it's not particularly subtle by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but I don't think it needs to be. No, it doesn't need yeah. to be. And it, it, it's interesting that given, obviously, the sag after strikes and all that sort of stuff, it, it felt all the more sort of, you know, pre- yeah. you know, sort of, what's the word? Um, well, it was well utilised. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I uh, I do agree with that actually. Um, I maintain that that stunt could have been done, but also there is definitely a comment being made by Cruz and probably Macquarie as well, and and the writer. Wish I knew who the writer was. <laughs> um, and it, it's sat at home going, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, but there's something to be said also about the way these films are marketed, and I mentioned earlier about how it's so central to the marketing. Uh, particularly with the last three, there are making of clips released before the film itself mm. about crews doing these stunts. Mm. So it's a signifier to the audience what your what you see was real. It wasn't created after the fact. Like we we pre-planned this. This is a really impressive thing that's happened. Mm. This is why you. This is why you want love the cinema. Like it's kind of reminding people. Yeah, hey, remember. A time where you know, thinking back to like even like Buster Keaton and stuff, and this stunt work in his films. Yeah, 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 yeah. This used to be a, a um, the only way to do it, and we're going to do it for you as well. Come mm. and come and see it. Like that's a that is a genius marketing strategy. Yeah, yeah. Um, baffling that they release making of stuff before the film itself. Yeah, um, yeah. And that you have Simon Pegg going like every single film, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is strange. I just think it's worth pointing out. Um mm. particularly as we're on the sort of precipice of something that, you know, is going to really if we don't you know, I, can't, I mean I don't really know a huge amount, but I just feel like if we don't sort of police this in the proper manner, people's jobs are going to be displaced. Yeah, it's going to it will, yeah. you know. And I'm steadfastly against it being used in, in any creative capacity actually yeah i think an exception might be like you could use ai in animated films like low budget animated films okay for example i think there's you know if you don't have the budget for and you don't have the budget to pay people but you still want to create something that's fine use it and use it for that but if you're you know if you're a studio and you have the funds to do it spend that extra money and keep the keep economies going you know yeah I mean? yeah and it's also like you know the, the sort of you know it's, it's a huge it's a theme in 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 this, in this film you know the sort of the entity yeah right? the entity yeah. yeah like Cruz and his gang are second guessing a cold calculated machine who has considered absolutely every possible outcome of every part of its plan yeah but it can't account necessarily for 
sort of human endeavour. Yes. Uh, which is, I think, again, another sort of very on-the-nose comment about the use of AI in a, in a creative medium, in the sense that, uh-huh. you know, getting an AI to write a script about something, yeah. it's always going to have that label of not really understanding the human experience that audiences are going to connect to. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. is not being able to predict unpredictability, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think that's great. I also think it's great that this film, because Mission Impossible, by and large, uh, uses technology as a plot device to drive the plot forward, right? So the, oh, mar- yeah. the masks and stuff. And what I loved about this one is it it forced the human characters to not use that. So there's a bit where the, the mask, the like briefcase that makes the masks breaks... Um, you have a bit where like the big computer room has to be analog stuff. All yeah, yeah. Um, and also it's there's something to be said about the fact that the finale takes place on a steam train as well. Yeah, and kind of harking yeah. back to older stuff and that and lots of swords and knives in it as well. Yeah, so all yeah, of the yeah. technology. Uh, you God, know, yeah. It, yeah, it's sort of being rolled back mm. to things that previously thought to be archaic i think it was that was great as well because otherwise it would have been more of a same right they've got they got the gadgets but in yeah. this one they really don't <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah and no, i thought that was a really interesting yeah that's a really inter- yeah the steam a, train thing <laughs> yeah yeah especially yeah the use of weapons and stuff i've not quite sort of thought about that rolling it back mm. uh almost sort of you know all the like you say the use of that technology is so central not only to mission impossible but to like espionage films in general yeah yeah, yeah. and sort of skyfall did it a little bit as well if you think about it yeah it did, like the yeah. ending of skyfall and the mansion with all like the sort of again like the use of like old-fashioned weapons yeah, or sort of car. home alone style trip tri- yeah, you know yeah. traps and stuff <laughs> yeah. yeah when these sorts of films be- want to be sort of self-reflective either about the, the sort of franchise itself or indeed the wider cinematic mm. climate they revert back to yeah 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 <laughs> archaic times. weaponry yeah yeah simpler times and um also there's a there's a kind of good gag in it where uh they mention they they kind of mention what the abbreviation means and they're like what the hell's imf and he's like uh it's uh, impossible mission force and then they look at him going what yeah <laughs> yeah stupid that's really uh, shit it's yeah, a really shit yeah. name but it's all part of the charm yeah exactly yeah they're kind of looking back and thinking I can't believe we used to use this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, I like that about the film as well, quite a lot. Yeah, um, Rebecca Ferguson and Haley Atwell, really good performances as well as sort of side characters. I thought just to kind of shout them out. I've got literally that my notes. I've got quite detailed <laughs> notes about what I liked about the film, and then in the midst of that, it just says Rebecca Ferguson and Haley Atwell. Yeah, They're both both work really yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, I mean Ferguson's been a bit of a mainstay for a while now, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and she, yeah, I think there's a reason she kept coming back. I think she sort of understood the assignment of what what these films were about really, really well. And when they find actors like that, they tend to stick around. Yeah, yeah, you definitely. Know? She clearly got treated quite well and probably has a good working relationship with Cruz. And that's central. That's central, yeah. To this universe. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, Simon Pegg has a really great moment in it and it's probably my favourite scene in the film actually the airport the bit in the airport where he has to disarm that bomb again oh, yeah. tried and tested thing like a bomb disarm <laughs> yeah, scene yeah. it's nothing new at all and it always it always gets disarmed like, like the last second um, but there's a really good moment in it where the bomb asks him like what means the most to you 
And before I thought, because it's always odd when Simon Pegg speaks in a, large, a film of a largely American cast, yeah. it sort of throws me off a little bit. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. Oh God, okay. There's a British person for some reason doesn't do because there's a lot of uh, British female characters in this film as well. I don't know why it doesn't bother me so much as when Simon Pegg talks. Yeah, but there's a great moment where he answers that question. He just says, "Oh, it's my friends." It's such an emotional moment that comes out <laughs> of nowhere. He he's really good in it, and that scene's great as well. Um, Slight subversion, uh, again, minor spoilers. The bomb has no... Uh, there's nothing in it. <laughs> again, I, I quite quite like how they played with that and how they, that, that scene kind of intercuts the sort of three or four different things going on at the same time. Ethan Hunt's being pursued by like three or four different organisations. And that's yeah. really, really well constructed, that scene, I thought. I guess the sort of sense of the, the environment is really well crafted in yeah. Mission Impossible films mm, yeah. and the various parties at play yeah, yeah. and their intentions. It's all very well it's all very sort of cohesive and yeah. it all flows together really really well mm. in a way that sort of does feel a little bit sort of confusing but yeah. it's deliberately constructed that way you know there's all these different sort of powers all trying to grab which is again the, one of the themes of the movie you know yeah. whoever controls um, this sort of sentient AI yeah. basically will control the world mm. yeah and it sort of almost villainizes every major power in the world yeah. including the United States and England, yeah. blighty, and which has been a sort of a villain before, I yeah, think. I think so. Yeah. Was it uh, five with um, Sean Harris? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Bri- it's sort of a splinter bit. unit from MI five, isn't it? Having some That's sort right. of yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, something else I've always quite liked is that you know it's not afraid to make the sort of intelligence community certainly like you know Western mm. uh, organizations look bad. Uh, I've got a couple of things about this film that I wasn't so keen on as well. Okay. I'm, the stunt I mentioned, uh, I liked it, but the the way that computer-generated imagery was utilised, I think, could have been flipped and it would have been the same. <laughs> I think Hayley Atwell's character, Grace, she's called, um, He she fucks Tom Cruise over far too many times. <laughs> she keeps doing it. And, like, I don't know, you wouldn't trust her. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's, just, that's a kind of annoying plot gripe I have. The the car chase in Rome was good, but went on for a really long time. Did you find that? Um, the bit where in the Fiat. Oh yeah, and it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, thought that could have been trimmed down a bit. Maybe. Yeah, okay. Uh, actually, this kind of goes against what I was saying earlier about use of green and blue screen. Uh, there's a there's a shot near the end on the steam train where. Tom Cruise is clearly behind a green screen. There's something called light bleed, which is like a really cheap way of making blue and green screen look a bit better. And you can kind of tell, basically, around the outline of the foreground element, in this case it's Cruise, you can see like it almost glow. There's like a glow. Oh, yeah. Glow. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And uh, that that happened. So I was like, oh, no, that must have been a pickup shot or something. It took me out of it because the stunts, by and large, are all practical, as as we mentioned. So, yeah, that just sort of took me out of it a bit. Look, look out for that. It's like maybe about two hours 20 or something. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Um, the exact time code. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, again, I, I think it's one of those things, you know, when we talk about, again, attempt to sort of refrain from relying too much on the technology that's on offer. Mm, yeah. I think he, you know, I think there is an understanding that sometimes it just has to be used. I th- yeah, it must have been a pickup. I think it was a pickup, um, just because none of the other shots had it. Yeah, and they must have had a t- either technical problem. Some runner accidentally deleted a hard drive. Or, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Got well, you've got a trained eye for yeah, this sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's completely fair enough. <laughs> I think my biggest problem with the movie was that it just the, the biggest problem it had. Sorry, was that it it just came out after Fallout, and I think that's going to mm. be a really tough because Fallout feels quite separate from the franchise in the sense that is this sort of incredibly expansive action, mm. you know, masterwork. As far yeah. you know, like it's it's sort of climbing out of the sort of confines of the franchise. Not that there is many confines anyway, but, you know, it sort of feels like it stands on its own. I think we spoke about this before, about the artistry of action cinema. Like, it's something that's not really said a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, But over the last few years, we've really started to, you know, to talk about, you know, the artistic approaches in action films and how they're just as worthy as any other genre. Mm. And I think that film really stands out as as a central part of that argument. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think this film lacked that. I think it lacked that sort of expansive action film artistry. Okay, a lot yeah. of the scenes, although some of them were fantastic and genuinely brilliantly paced, yeah, um, I just felt it lacked that sense of urgency in its action, which then sort of bled into the narrative a little bit. I feel like the scene. I, d- I definitely agree. I think the scene that was most guilty of that was actually the first set piece set among in the you know the sand. In, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, that was like kind of throwaway. I thought. It's a bit airy and a bit like, what the? Well, we're right in here, and I know yeah. that's sort of part of the past of of, of the Mission Impossible, impossible. Mission Impossible, yeah, impossible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, films. You know, like obviously there's going to be the opening stunt to set the stall out of the film early doors. So I completely, you know, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Again, I just thought, mm. yeah, it just it just didn't feel quite as sort of well connected and 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 as earned mm. as a lot of the stunts in the the prior film were. Yeah, the villain. I mean, obviously the AI Gabriel. thing yeah. th- on the thematic level works really well, but yeah, Gabriel doesn't really hold a candle to Cavill. I don't think. No, definitely not. No, um, there, there was some sort of weird Christian. Like you got Grace, you got Gabriel. You got the key, which is like oh, a crucifix. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. really know where that came from. There must be a reason for it. Um, I was to say it must be down to Cruz's sort of theological interest, but yeah, he, that, maybe. Wouldn't, that wouldn't really count as obviously it's not really to do with Scientology. I don't know a lot about Scientology. I don't no. know how how well it links to the Bible and Christian traditional Christian views. No idea. Uh, if it does, then uh, there's a lot of that in this film. <laughs> yeah, no aliens yet. No, so yeah. he, he's, he's refraining from that. Yeah, um. <laughs> I liked the key thing. Simple, yeah, simple, easy, easy to understand, uh, and yet it doesn't feel like it's cheap either. No. Yeah, the fact that they they were constantly losing it and finding it again, and yeah, losing it and yeah. finding it again, and like yeah, that was just uh, kind of a, a staple of decent action when done well. And yeah, it yeah. Is in this case, I guess. And I'm gonna, I'm sort of on the basis of that, I'm gonna end sort of with a question. Mm. Um, we haven't really talked about a lot of the staple things that happen in Mission Impossible, apart from the stunts. Obviously, the stunts are the biggest draw, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. there's things like the, the, the mask reveals, the double crosses, all mm. that sort of stuff. Was it about those sort of tropes of, of the franchise to you that has make them made them sort of endure so well? Mm. Because, you know, this is, the, what, seven films, eighth film on the way. Yeah. Undoubtedly, those things are going to be, be about. They're going to come into the narrative at some point. Yeah. In fact, they're going to be expected. Yeah, you know what? What is it about them and at their deployment that stops people from getting tired of it? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think initially it was a different director thing, um, different hairstyles each movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think that it's the pacing. Honestly, I think it boils down mainly to the way they're edited and the way that that they're very carefully constructed to hold your attention mm. and 
that never gets old because they're constructed in a fashion to keep you engaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an, it's grounded enough in reality, just about like it's a it's a step ahead of technology is like the way technology is used now. You know, some of the gadgets they use are like really outlandish, but yeah, just the way it's paced, I think for me. Yeah. I think again it just goes back to that the sort of earnest earnest nature of the way that these sort of narrative devices are employed mm. in relation to you know that old school sort of action film experience and that, yeah. that suspension of disbelief maybe this sort of expectation of those things helps you suspend your disbelief more I don't know but yeah yeah no, you, it's strange no. how I sort of love it <laughs> you know I see the mask reveal I'm like oh yeah like as if I've not seen it before you know oh, yeah there's like four or five per film but for some reason I'm sort of like treat each one like I've never seen it before it's a really easy visual effect all it is is a rubber mask uh, and there's always a wipe like a kind of it, oh it wipes, yeah yeah uh, benji wipes the frame and when and it transitions to the actual actor yeah yeah <laughs> so whether it be philip seymour hoffman or like whoever whoever the their mask is <laughs> yeah basically yeah. Uh, yeah it's really easy and they do it in a way which is so satisfying and so yeah. gleeful. Like every time yeah. you watch it, you're just like, oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. It's comfort. <laughs> I think it's it's just nice sometimes to envelop yourself in something and not concern yourself with you know, the sort of outer outside noise. I think it's yeah. nice. And that's maybe why it works so well, because mm. they're so good at encouraging you to do that. Yeah. And I think in another way, just as a kind of, sort of final aside, the way it keeps your attention through seven films and like what 20 years now i mm. guess just under 20 years uh is what we were saying before about the fact that ethan hunt doesn't seem indestructible mm. he's flawed as a human being he he is able to get injured as we saw at the end of Fallout. yeah yeah so yeah that, again the stakes are still there and i mean it's interesting you talk about that uh, the humanity of ethan hunt there's that scene in in rogue What's this one called again? <laughs> Dead Reckoning. That's it. Yeah. Dead, Dead Reckoning. I, the thing about these films is, as much as I love them, they all bleed into one fucking big movie for me. <laughs> but there's, you know, there's a scene in Dead Reckoning where he, it's after, spoiler, Gabriel kills Rebecca Ferguson's character. And obviously this fills Ethan Hunt with, you know, blind rage. Yeah, you yeah. know, and uh, Ving Rhames. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, another franchise staple, mm. as is his hat collection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, basically says to him, you know, the AI wants you to kill Gabriel because if Gabriel dies, so does the location of, of the AI. Yeah. So, you know, you need to make sure that you keep your emotions in check. Yeah. And yeah. the only thing that ultimately saves Gabriel from being stabbed yeah. is the presence of that CIA guy just yeah. chasing him haphazardly throughout the entire movie. Yeah. So it speaks to, again, this idea about, you know, the character not being this sort of like clear cut individual who's you know whose whose morality is easily definable mm, obviously yeah. he does care for his friends and he wants to do a job and he wants to save the world but he is you know he you know if if he loses someone close to him that is going to derail him and mm. there's going to be this singular minded focus which could even sort of end up costing him victory yeah. i mean it never will happen obviously <laughs> but again suspension disbelief exactly yeah um yeah, imagine if it did. Yeah, it just kills him. It just ends. Yeah, yeah. Dead reckoning. I reckon he's dead. Yeah, I reckon he's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, just, that's all I have to say about a dead reckoning. You've exhausted your notes. I have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm. outro. Mm. Mm. Questing the cinematic void. There we have it. Then, uh, basically, almost an hour and a half of us whacking off over Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. I do think, actually, thinking about it, like we didn't really mention any of the. 
Oh god, no, we forgot stuff. about the Scientology. Yeah, yeah, we just got so into talking about Mission Impossible and Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny because I, I sort of asked people questions on the Instagram about uh, what they thought of Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. And most of the sort of his responses are either that he's sort of like an enigma, but a, you know, like a so Lee says he's an enigma, but a great movie star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is sort of in the sort of similar vein to what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. But a few people make allusions, frequent allusions to the Scientology thing, which has obviously sort of impacted the way a lot of people see him. Yeah, Given yeah. that, you know, a lot of people within that you know, religion, t- particularly the higher-ups, tend to act pretty oddly oh, and yeah. seem to be There's really like, invested in his personal life. Yeah, he's like a spokesperson for them almost by, by proxy. Not overtly, but yeah, there's all sorts of weird stuff like sort of... One of the one of the higher ups just disappeared one day. You know, it's all that kind of thing. Yeah, like, very odd. Because <laughs> his, I think, for one of his marriages, the head of Scientology was his best man. I'm pretty oh, sure. really? And I didn't know <laughs> until recently. The reason he got into it is because of one, his first wife. Yes, that's yeah, right. I didn't yeah, I didn't no no idea. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Now, that is a strange thing about him. Uh, I, yeah, baffling. And I mean, I'm quite glad I don't know that much about Scientology because it is just. <laughs> it's just something I have no time for. No, um, it's it's quite popular in. It's odd who in Tom Cruise's house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's odd yeah, who it's you strange. find out. It, it turns out they're a Scientologist. You're like, oh, what, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's quite a lot of people. Uh, yeah, what's her name from The Invisible Man and uh, Handmaid's Tale? Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. Yeah. No way. Yep. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a real surprise to me for some reason. Yeah, like with yeah. Tom Cruise, it sort of isn't <laughs> because again, <laughs> yeah. in the spirit of being that old school Hollywood star, mm. they're also always mental. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah, sort of like yeah, it yeah. makes sense. But wow, Elizabeth Moss. There you go. Next week, another director deep dive. I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we've got our list of directors. Uh, I want to throw one extra in, so I want to. I'm going to give you one extra as well. All right. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, it's, it's only fair. Fair play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So right. I'm, I'm going to give you one. Like I'm the one that's in charge of this wheel that I've not even, <laughs> you know, even thought about how to <laughs> no. construct or we'll sort of there. share with our yeah. beloved li- listener. <laughs> um, uh, John Waters. Okay, you got John I'm gonna, Waters. I'm going to chuck him in there as well because we're watching a lot of his films recently, and it, I think it'd be fantastic to talk about his films. Um, Lovely. All right then. Both yeah, yeah. his studio work and his pre-studio work, which is wow. Mm. Some of which I'd seen, either seen or was made aware of mm. before. But fuck me, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, with a purpose though, and it'd be great to talk about that purpose and him as a as a as a filmmaker and an artist because oh, I think brilliant. he's a fucking legend. But um, yeah, did you have anyone else? I'm going. I'm going with Peter Jackson. Okay. So not just Peter, the Peter Jackson everyone knows with his, you know, Tolkien, King or, Kong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We. I'm th- talking specifically. Would lo- love to mention. I would like to mention Lord of the Rings and King Kong, but like his earlier horror films and how he got his start. How he got yeah, started yeah. with that and like Heavenly Creatures as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Actually, really, I forgot about that film. The way his career sort of started was fascinating, and I think yeah, a worthy addition to the mix. Yeah, I think the transition from those horror films to Lord of the Rings is almost a story in itself. So, oh yeah, 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 yeah. such no, an inventive guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fair shout, fair there shout. You go. So yeah, director deep dive anime episode week after, I think. Okay, perfect. Um, so that gives us a bit more time to sort of hoover up all of the the anime that yeah, yeah, yeah. That we need to watch. I'll add another twenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. 
And uh, we look forward to being in your ears next week. Next week. See you then. See you later. Bye. Mm.